United Soccer Coaches is proud to present the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. That's right, the NSCAA is now United Soccer Coaches. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. We unite coaches at every level of the game around the passion of the game. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. Yes, indeed. Dean Linky with you for another edition of United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I love today's show. Paul Kennedy, 33 years with Soccer America, the editor and chief, fresh off the World Cup, giving you updates on how everything went over in Russia, talking Major League Soccer, talking U.S. National Team. We get his picks for the new head coach of the U.S. National Teams. That will happen someday, some way. He'll also talk women's soccer, college soccer, you name it, we've got it covered. Now, United Soccer Coaches, if you've been listening to the podcast over the last couple years, you know that we've got a great relationship with the LMA across the pond. Well, the LMA was able to sit down with Craig Shakespeare. Of course, Craig Shakespeare was the assistant coach a couple years ago when Leicester City won the Premier League. He then took over as the coach for, albeit a short time, but Craig Shakespeare is the man, and we'll spend time with him, and then we'll visit with another new sponsor of United Soccer Coaches, KT Tate. And we'll do it after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Still managing your club or league on paper and spreadsheets? Go paperless with Team Snap. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, they have way fewer paper cuts. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash United. Once again, here's Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and this is United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Got a great show today. Craig Shakespeare, who, of course, took over over Leicester City after Coach Ranieri led them to that Premier League title. And like Coach Ranieri, he was let go, but a great friend of the LMA. He's coming up. And then we'll also hear from one of the newest sponsors of United Soccer Coaches, KT Tate. But to get things started, we're going to talk all things soccer, just like the LMA talks all things soccer with Mr. Shakespeare. And we'll do that with Paul Kennedy, a legend in soccer in this country. 33 years he's been with Soccer America. America. He's their editor-in-chief and always a welcome guest on the show. Mr. Kennedy, thanks for being with us. I'm glad to be with you, Dean. Now, Paul, I know you weren't in Russia, but you were over in Europe covering the World Cup. Let's get your take on how you think the World Cup went in Russia. Um, I thought it was uh, you know, one of the best World Cups we've had in years because of, in some ways, with, with U.S. not being in the World Cup, it allowed us to focus on uh, on the rest of the tournament and see what the soccer was like. And it was one of the best played tournaments that I can remember. Uh, what it made so great was uh, really a number of great uh, soccer matches that, uh, that fans of any level of interest could really get into. And I include matches like uh, France-Argentina, a match like Belgium, Jamaica, Belgium, Japan, the teams, uh, two teams that otherwise fans might not have a lot of interest in, but both played a great game, and Belgium went on to be one of the stars of the tournament. And obviously I mentioned France, and France was, uh, to me, one of the best champions of the World Cup uh, in uh, many years. Yeah, I agree. Logistically, it seemed like uh, everything went off fairly easily. What uh, what kind of marks would you give Russia in hosting the World Cup? Um, I would say I would give it a, about a 9 out of 10, meaning uh, it was one of the uh, um, 
it, for Russia itself, it, you know, uh, it, it allowed people to see what the country was like, and uh, um, you know, there were a lot of doubters beforehand, but uh, they did a great job. All right. Obviously, you probably also kept an eye on Mexico. Looked like, boy, they were just going to maybe run through this and surprise folks. They had those two big wins, then kind of laid an egg. And, of course, we all saw what happened against Brazil. Your take on Mexico in the World Cup? Um, I think uh, part of the issue was, is you know, they, they came out great, beat Germany. A couple of things would be is that I think, unfortunately, uh, uh, the team and their coaching staff put so much emphasis on winning the first game that that took a lot of out of them. Also, they had quite a veteran team, so that uh, you know the World Cup is is really tough to uh, uh, keep up at a high level. And the fact that uh, the coach uh, Juan Carlos Osorio didn't make a lot of changes for the third game, I think, hurt them. That they had nothing left when they played Brazil. And also, the fact was is that they lost to Sweden three nothing in, in in the result. That looking back on it. You know, seeing how Sweden went out against England, uh, it's hard to understand how bad Mexico was that day. I think they just ran out of gas. Juan Carlos Osorio, boy, he's an interesting figure, of course, you know, maligned in Mexico, and then he's the hero again, and then now I think he's back toward the maligned state, yet he's also a guy that U.S. soccer might be thinking about as their next coach. Where do you think he ends up? Um, it's hard to see. I think uh, it would be right now if he had a choice. I believe, uh, well, I'm not sure which is one and two, but obviously his two choices would be his native Columbia, where they'll have a coaching op- opening, and or the United States. Um, I would uh, be surprised if the U.S. If U.S. soccer selected him, though. Um, I think... Uh, you know, if, if Mexico had done better, I think it would have helped his chances. But uh, the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, they didn't do, you know, any better than they've done before in some ways were more of a disappointment than before, I think hurt his cause. All right. You've been around for a long time, 33 years. You've seen a lot of coaches for U.S. soccer. You've, think, you've seen international coaches. You've seen American-born coaches. Paul Kennedy, if you were king for a day, who would be your one or two top choices to be the next coach of the U.S. men's national team? Um, in the context of a World Cup, um, I would argue for if, if uh, I had a magic wand of something that was realistic, I would pick Roberto Martinez and bring over Thierry Henry as his assistant, just like they were that duo working with Belgium. Um, uh, Roberto Martinez is a guy who is clearly a great uh, tactical mind. He is someone who is familiar with the U.S., and obviously U.S. fans are very familiar with him having worked a number of World Cups, and he was very articulate on the broadcast when he worked for ESPN. So I think he would... uh, it would be a great choice, and having someone like Thierry Henry work as an assistant um, would be tremendous. Meaning he spent uh, you know many years in MLS, and uh, again is someone that I think a lot of young players would definitely look up to and uh, respect. Just like he got a lot of respect out of out of the Belgian players and really helped their team. If you were that same king for a day, but the rules stipulated that you had to hire an American coach, who would you pick? I would probably say the logical choice is going to be uh, Greg Berhalter. Um, you know, he, he's done a great job at uh, Columbus, uh, with not necessarily the resources that some other 
some other coaches have had in MLS, and he's uh, um, always managed to produce good teams. And also, he's someone obviously having played for the national team and having uh, played with Ernie Stewart, the U.S. Soccer's new national team general manager, is someone who uh, knows the system. All right. I like both those answers, and I like the fact that you stepped right up and gave them. All right. Now you're back. Major League Soccer is, you know, right at that midway point. Uh, the attendances have been amazing. What they're doing in Atlanta is incredible. As you look right now, what are you most excited about as you look forward to another MLS season? I, I think the fact that there's so many good new players uh, that MLS has brought in, even though a lot of the players are players that um, you know most fans have never heard of, um, and it's because MLS has gone out and spent some money on buying players and found players that uh, they think will help the quality of the league. Uh, um, you look at at Atlanta with some of their signings, uh, Miguel Almiron and Joseph Martinez. Um, you know, and look around the league is that uh, this year there have been a lot of good players uh, who have really helped Quintero in Minnesota, Diamande and uh, with LAFC. So that besides sort of the, the names that uh, we all know, like uh, Carlos Vea, who played for Mexico and is with LAFC, is that some other players have come in and uh, uh, created some, uh, some real excitement and some real quality uh, action for MLS. All right, switching gears now to U.S. women. They're getting ready for a tournament as well. And uh, a lot of familiar names back in camp for Jill Ellis. In fact, some names that people are starting to question, do they still belong? You look at the current state of the U.S. women's national team, always a power, got to be one of the favorites to win another World Cup. Your thoughts on the U.S. women's national team right now? Um, I think the, the tournament coming up against uh, teams like uh, Brazil and Australia are going to be real important because it's the last really tough test uh, before the end of the year. And right now, Jill has got 25 players in camp, plus a couple of key players who are still currently injured. So, uh, you know, from 23 players, to get to 23 players, she's got about 27 in there. And, you know, I could say 25 of them, probably 24, are really strong uh uh, candidate, so I think you know whether the U.S. will win another World Cup remains to be seen. But uh, I strongly believe that they will have the strongest and deepest team they've ever put together. Well, and you got to believe that the number one reason that is the case, and you said that so emphatically, is because of the NWSL, which continues to thrive, I think, and particularly in some markets as well. And, you know, full disclosure, our last podcast was with Paul Riley, who is doing things with the North Carolina Courage that makes me say he might be the best coach in North America, men or women. When you look just at records, certainly I think you can make that bold statement. And now there's six players in camp with the USA and Lynn Williams probably could have got a call as well if she was totally healthy. Talk a little bit about the NWSL and then go ahead and, and give your thoughts on the North Carolina Courage and the job Paul Riley has done. The Courage are, you know, uh, with one loss and only one loss this season have uh, really been quite incredible. And what is the amazing thing about what Paul has done in the team is, is that not too many of the players would have been what you would consider national team standouts or national team regulars right away so that 
in just about every case, uh, the player has earned their spot on the national team because of their um, success in the NWSL. First, a few of them when they were still back in uh, Western New York, but over the last two years with the Courage in North Carolina. And uh, so, as you say, I think you know Paul Riley has really done an incredible job <laughs> in separating them from the rest of the rest of the league, and which is a pretty strong statement when you consider you have a team like the Thorns, who have such resources and such uh, drawing power because of their popularity, and you know who themselves have a whole bunch of. Uh, all right, college soccer and beginning in August, United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap will go every week. It's hard to believe that in just the second week of August, women's college soccer will start, and then the following week, men's college soccer will start. And boy, back in the day, Soccer America—that's all they had was college soccer to cover. It's certainly different times now with uh, you know Major League Soccer, twenty years plus going strong, and NWSL and the national teams, and now the academies and, and, and everything going on with ECNL but still college soccer has its place and of course out where you are Stanford three time defending champion the women also get it done your thoughts right now as uh, we prepare for this college soccer season where its place is and how excited you are about it as you said that, that I think one of the you know college soccer in some ways is better than ever in some ways, uh, the interest uh, around teams and their local communities, whether it's on campus or within uh, in, in their college towns, is as strong as ever. But it definitely gets uh, lost in the shuffle um, because of so much other soccer going on, whether it's MLS and WSL, which goes into uh, a good part of the college season, and international stuff, national teams, things like that. But there's still, um, you know, some good players. I think, the, the, to me, a couple of trends are is uh, you still have schools like Stanford, which you mentioned, which is a three-time national champion. And because they, you know, a school like Stanford is so renowned for its uh, academics and for what you can get with a uh, Stanford degree, that is still able to attract a lot of players who otherwise might have considered uh, going pro. Um, you know, you have players like Corey Baird, of, uh, who was at Stanford, who is in his first year with Real Salt Lake and MLS, and to me is you know one of the top candidates for Rookie of the Year. So, um, and that's like Georgetown. You know, some of the big. Uh, State universities like UNC or Virginia with strong, uh, um, you know, strong academic reputations allow them to continue to recruit. Um, on the women's side, obviously, you know, you're still getting most of the players, with the rare exception of a Mallory Pugh or a Lindsey Horan, who uh, turned pro out of high school. But uh, um, you know, on the women's side, what I think is interesting is just like on the men's side now, you get a lot of foreign players coming in. On the women's side, a lot of foreign players who are on uh, are products of youth national teams who who see the value of uh, 
of spending a few years, if not four years, at a U.S. university. Quick answer here, is college soccer led by Sasso Swarovski and some of these other coaches with this push to go to a year-round season, is that losing steam, Paul, or is it still something that could happen? I don't know whether it's losing steam, but I don't see it happening. Okay. All right. Now, coming up is Craig Shakespeare. You, better than anybody, can perhaps remind us what took place a couple years ago in the English Premier League and the coach still getting sacked the next year and everything else. Tell us why people should listen to Craig Shakespeare and remind us what happened a couple years ago over there. You know, the reality is in this day in that in European soccer, most leagues are dominated by one, two, or three teams. And you had with Leicester City a team that came out of nowhere to win the championship. Uh, you know, in the United States, we think of uh, anyone having a champ- an opportunity because of things like parity or salary cap. But what, uh, what the Foxes did uh, a couple years ago was really incredible. And, uh, you know, with players like, uh, you know, uh, Nolo Conte, who was one of the stars of the World Cup for France. Um, and it's something where what... Uh, uh, Ranieri and, and Shakespeare did with putting together a team was really remarkable in that, you know, the reality was is that with good recruiting, uh, you know, you have to have the money, but if you can find the right players, you can turn a team around really quick, which is what they did. How is it fair that both Ranieri and Shakespeare both are gone, though? I mean, it just doesn't seem fair to me, Paul Kennedy, but I guess, you know, life in the big leagues of soccer isn't fair, right? Um, especially, especially in Europe where... Um, you know, uh, it is hard to, you know, for a coach to stay at the top, to stay, you know, to uh, stay on top of his game, so to speak, with one team for very long. It's really hard. And I mean, the reality is is that, you know, with the money involved, say, in uh, either participating or not participating in the Champions League or being relegated or not relegated uh, in the Premier League, say, it's so much that unfortunately owners uh, are unwilling to give coaches uh, much of a chance because so much is at stake financially based upon winning or losing, much more say than the United States where uh, there's much more of sort of a socialist outlook to, uh, to uh, a team's financial structure. Paul Kennedy, 33 years with Soccer America, the editor-in-chief, and uh, i tell you what, rock-solid interview, Paul Kennedy. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed your answers, and they were right on point as well, and you weren't afraid to answer some maybe even tougher questions about uh, the next coach of the U.S. men's national team. Paul Kennedy, I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much for kicking off today's episode of United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks a lot, Paul Kennedy. You're very welcome. Paul Kennedy, Soccer America, great as always. Speaking of great, how about the relationship spearheaded by Ian Barker and some of the other leaders with United Soccer Coaches with LMA, which sometimes we get to drop in and interview some key leaders over there. The LMA folks getting it done. We'll share you the interview with Craig Shakespeare. Remember, he was an assistant coach from Leicester City, won the Premier League. He took over as head coach. He's now the first team coach with Everton, Craig Shakespeare around the corner. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows 
knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgold.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. If you listened to the Open, you heard me talk about the great partnership, the great relationship between United Soccer Coaches and the LMA across the pond. It allows us to get insight from the leaders in soccer over there. And who could forget just two years ago when Leicester City caught the world by storm, winning the English Premier League despite being one of the smaller clubs. They were led then by Claudio Ranieri. He was famously sacked, replaced by Craig Robert Shakespeare, who then also was sacked a year later after signing a three-year contract. He's now the first-team coach at Everton. Craig Shakespeare was able to catch up with our friends from the LMA, and we bring you his interview covering all kinds of topics, and it starts right now. Craig, thank you very much for your time today, and thank you for speaking with the LMA and our partners, United Soccer Coaches. Pleasure. Uh, welcome to be here. Uh, as you say, it's always good to get feedback from other coaches. And so what we wanted to talk to you today was a, a different, few different questions on football in general, some of your, the time you spent at Leicester and, uh, and just generally your thoughts on the game. So when you use video analysis as a coach, how much footage do you show the player themselves and then the wider squad? Well, I think you have to show the wider squad first. I think you have to get it so it's value for the team in terms of what you're trying to get out of the game, obviously trying to win it, but in terms of the strengths and weaknesses of of the opposition. Um, So generally it's um, for the squad first and then it's um, the analyst's job to break that down for each individual player. What you do find is that each individual player will have different needs. Some will like to see more footage um, of their opponent. Uh, In the Premier League, most players will know each other, but I think it's always important just to re-emphasise those messages. So in in general, I think the answer to that question is, yes, we show it to the whole squad, but then it uh, broadens up towards the end of the week once you're going to play the game and then show the individual uh, more of their individual clips against their opponents. Great. And uh, in terms of training, what is your opinion on the value of rondos and non-directional keep-away games in training? (laughs) Good question, because when I first started, it was um, all about letting the players have those. I think it's very player-orientated. I think the players, usually you'll see most teams doing them on a Friday with the lead-up to the game. I think it's very much about putting the players in a feel-good mentality. Players enjoy it. But what coaches don't like is when there's a mess around and it's not done properly. So I think, is there a value to it? Probably mentally, in terms of the feel-good factor. Is there a coaching point from it? Not particularly. Um, I like directional possession. I like it, even if the rondos are done on a Friday, I like it done with a speed and a tempo and a purpose. And I think then the players get more out of it. And at the top level, how does the coach use the reserve side or the under-23 side to develop talent and also keep first-team players at a high level? I think I've seen a massive change in this over the last five years. When I played, you didn't play in the first team, you played in the reserves. I've seen over the last five years a real decrease in first-team players wanting to play in there. And I think that can have a detrimental effect to the under-23s, to the coach and to the players. So I've changed my opinion a bit over the last five years that if they're not going to show the right attitude and they're not going to um, benefit from that, 
then we run them. We make sure they get the targets, the physical targets elsewhere. And I think sometimes then the under-23s know they've got their own squad, their own players, and also for the development and there's no blockage in the system for the younger players. But I think if there's a, a need for the player to play, then I think you talk to him and tell him to explain why. So, for instance, if he's injured and he's coming back from a long-term injury and he needs 45 minutes, 60 minutes, then explain. But I've seen a real deterioration in players' attitudes towards playing in reserves. Of course, it comes back to us coaches to stamp our authority on it. Uh, and in some cases, you need to do that. Great. And so does the modern coach have to have a conscious approach to dealing with the media? I think so. I saw it myself from becoming an assistant to manager, uh, the media profile uh, goes up hundredfold. Uh, I think you have to be yourself. I think um, it helps that sometimes you answer questions honestly because um, I think the press and also the fans uh, relate to that a bit more. But I also think you you understand that you you're putting on a professional attitude it's not you're in the pub with your best mates talking about football and who's good who's not it, you're in front of the media but I think you have to have um, an attitude of um, you're there for a reason and it's professional manner and you mentioned the uh, the difference from being a coach to an assistant to becoming the head coach so how does the stress or the pressure multiply when you went from that transition from assistant to head coach manager I think it helped me at Leicester knowing the players, knowing the, the the club, knowing the infrastructure, knowing everything about it. I didn't. I'm quite fortunate in one ways to have. I don't get too stressed or don't feel I get too stressed. I'm sure if I had a heart rate monitor on or the blood pressure was measured, it might look different. But uh, in terms of um, the the stress. I think you feel a bit more responsible for the staff. As an assistant, uh, you're there um, to, to the backup of the manager. And, but as a manager, um, you feel a bit more uh, in control of your other staff. And as you say, results can have a massive bearing on then the outcome of your uh, future, but also your, your staff as well. And what type of balance would a good Premier League team maintain between adjusting for the opponent and sticking to their core strengths and beliefs? I think every team needs to have their core beliefs first. I think you need to know about the opposition. Uh, but I've been in dressing rooms myself where um, players have eventually, because you've concentrated too much on the opposition, uh, are we playing Brazil this week, boss? And you know, you can sense as a player they want to believe in themselves they want you to believe in them so I think their core strengths uh, have to be at the first and foremost um, of every team talk of how you're going to beat them of course you need to know the opposition's strengths but you also need to know their weaknesses and how you then get around that and for the biggest so the big but not the biggest clubs how important is scouting talent and then acquiring it I would say recruitment is one of the biggest single issues at any club you have to get right. And when I talk about recruitment, and recruitment of players, of course, but recruitment of staff. For me, it's one of the biggest single factors. You have to do your homework. You have to do your 
due diligence. You have to do everything you can to make sure that the player and the staff member you're bringing in is right for that football club. And I think there's a lot more done in it nowadays. Before, uh, you know, we have a lot more um, media coverage, a lot more scope now to get that right. Of course, it's always um, you can get them wrong because for whatever reason they don't settle in. It doesn't work for them. We've seen that. But I think you have to do your work behind it to make sure you get that right. And in your opinion, what is a fair amount of time owners should give a manager to really assess and impact on the squad? I would say 27, 28 games, uh, because I got 26. <laughs> um, no, I think it's a, it's a difficult question uh, to answer because is there any time limit? Because we've all seen managers given four games um, and I, I think nowadays it's all about the short-term results, um, especially we've seen, uh, and I was a victim last year, I think I had eight games, uh, results weren't good enough, I think I'd be the first to hold my hand up, but it's very, very difficult, um, depending on your start, we had the top four in the first eight games, so very difficult to put a time scale on it, but if you're employing a manager um, my beliefs are you've employed him because you've done your groundwork on him and you've got to let him, uh, you know, you would think at least half a season. And so in terms of the World Cup, what tactical takeaways do you see from the World Cup in Russia this year? I think it's just starting to warm up, if I'm honest. Um, I've been very surprised in the tactical bits of the importance on set plays. I think... Um, you know you can win or lose a game on set plays and you have to make sure you defend them right but we've seen on the attacking ones as well the amount of goals that have been scored from corners free kicks and it shows the importance uh, of getting that right my experience tells me players don't enjoy the day-to-day -day, um, routine of practicing set plays but I think this will show the importance of them and if you were coaching at this World Cup would you be happy with the use of VAR? I think it's here to stay. I think we have to get used to it. I think with any new thing, you have to give it uh, a trial. Uh, you have to be prepared for the pitfalls. I think some of the coaches will have more grievance than others. But in general, um, I think I was reading the paper the other day and it said it's improved 5% from 93 to 98 or even 99. So if there's improvement, they're going to get it wrong. Um, but I, I hope really, because refereeing is a, a subjective matter, and I think um, we've all seen uh, instances where we're not quite sure the first time. If it gives us that, as long as then there's a the consistency in their um, outcomes, then I think we're all for it. And which nations do you think Premier League teams will be looking at most closely in terms of their summer signings? I think um, the team that's impressed me the most um, so far uh, is Croatia. I think I've been very impressed with their overall play structure. I think it's been very, very impressive. I think if uh, now on the recruitment side, they'd be definitely one of the uh, teams I would be looking at. Um, but I think it's a worldwide now recruitment. And I think um, it's gone from the Europe days. I think the value for money is probably outside um, the British Premier League um, but again Croatia would be my choice at the moment Thank you Craig and thank you for your time uh, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again Thank you 
Thanks again to the LMA, and thank you, Craig Shakespeare. We come back, we'll hear from another one of the great sponsors of United Soccer Coaches, KT Tape. Tiger Woods was wearing it at the British Open. We'll talk KT Tape when we come back. The NSCAA is now United Soccer Coaches. We help you develop into better coaches so you can develop better players. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join today. All right, switching gears here as we're starting to think about the college soccer season, the youth soccer season, the high school soccer season. You want to make sure you're ready for it. And uh, it seems like everywhere you look, whether it's on the soccer field, whether it's on the tennis court, even the British Open, you see Tiger Woods taped up with the great KT Tape. And certainly KT Tape, uh, now a key partner with United Soccer Coaches. So we wanted to talk a little KT Tape today, and we went right to the top we're pleased to have Ed Terrace. He's the vice president of sales for KT Tape, and Kendra Williams is the brand manager. And first off, thanks for being with us, Ed and Kendra. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dane. Appreciate you giving us the opportunity. Yeah, we're excited to be on this. Well, and it's a good time because Tiger Woods is wearing your stuff right now. That's pretty exciting. How'd that happen? Uh, It's been a good uh, couple of days for us there. You know, anything that shows up on Tiger uh, (laughs) seems to be a good day for us. Uh, we've, we've done a lot of uh, seating, a lot of uh, work with uh, athletic trainers through the different verticals and uh, trying to get tape in their hands and for the different applications and different things they can do. And so uh, one of those uh, trainers with the PGA happened to have it in his hand, and when there was a need, he was able to use it. All right, that's brilliant. Well, first off, before we learn a little bit more about KT Tape and everything that's great about KT Tape, tell us why you thought it would be great, in fact, to be a partner with United Soccer Coaches. You know, when you look at soccer and the impact that it has, not only uh, in the United States but throughout the world, um, there's this, the big uh, youth movement with, with soccer and um, all the various uh, things that, that come inherent with the soccer league. Uh, we're just really excited to have the opportunity to be partnered with you and have uh, a great experience there. Well, because of Tiger Woods and some of the other places I just said where you can see KT tape, we're aware of it. We see a lot of the U.S. women's national team players wearing it as well. But what is KT tape? Explain it the best you can. You bet. Um, So... uh the, the tape itself has been around for about 40 years. It's kinesiology tape. It's all to do with the stretch and recoil of the tape. So many of us are used to the white athletic tape, which is more of a static tape. But with the kinesiology tape, it's uh, stretch and recoil. So for any soft t- tissue injury that you might have, ligaments, tendons, muscles, joints, we'll put the area on stretch. We'll then put the tape on stretch. When you come back to neutral, there's a wrinkling of the skin. That pulls the skin away so that you hydrate better and then the tape supports you like a brace. Now, one of the things we do understand about KT tape is that it actually understands, in quotes, that not everyone's skin is the same. Uh, Yeah, that's correct. Um, You know, when you look at it, uh, depending on skin types, uh, the the tape is designed now to, uh, we've got our different family of tape. We've got a gentle tape for those that may have um, skin irritations or or might have skin that we need to have that tape release easier. We've got our cotton product, we've got our pro product, and then we've got our extreme, which comes with a caution that you've got to use a baby lotion or something oily based to be able to get the tape back off. So we've tried to, um, you know, do a family of tape so that we can help with all injuries that uh, in all uh, different uh, skin types. 
All right, obviously one of the unique selling points for KT Tape is the fact that it's a drug-free pain relief. And Ed, you've touched on it already, but I'm going to ask you to go deeper on how it works. You bet. So again, uh, if you have a, a soft tissue injury, and again, those are ligaments, tendons, muscles, or joints, um, if, if that happens to you, what, what happens with these nagging injuries is your body will naturally heal itself in six to eight weeks. That's if you'll let the body do the healing process, which means uh, you're now going to be sitting on a couch or laying in bed so that your body can heal in that six to eight weeks. And so what happens with these nagging injuries, you may, uh, you know, hurt your knee, your wrist, your ankle, something like that. Uh, during a soccer game or during golf or during basketball or some activity. But then what happens is just through normal life, getting in and out of a car, uh, opening a door, going up and down stairs, any of these kind of acts will now just uh, aggravate that injury. So you have this six to eight weeks and then you aggravate it. So it's another six to eight weeks and so on and so forth. So what the tape does is it helps in that healing process and keeps you in life. So if you can get that tape on that injury in that six to eight week period, you can stay in life, you can stay in the activity that you are while you're healing. So who should wear the tape? Well, anybody. Um, and I'll even put that out there as far as we've also got it on horses and dogs and other animals. So uh, if you fit in one of those categories, you can probably use the tape. All right, specifically to this show, the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. How can soccer players use KT tape in their regular routine? Well, again, when you look at soccer player and the activities that they're involved in and the quick movements, um, we'll, we'll even expand that out from your coaches, your referees, and others that are involved. Um, when you look at, at all those people that are involved in it, um, they're putting quite a strain on their body, whether that's through uh, you know, the aerobics of running, whether that's through putting themselves in front of a ball or, um, again, the coaches on the sideline being on their, their feet the entire time, or those referees uh, that are running uh, up and down. So, again, any of those injuries that you think that you have or that you may, for example, let's say that by, um, you know, sometime in the game you feel like my, uh, my hamstring starts to flare up on me or my, my calves start to hurt. That's something now that you could take care of that situation by, by wearing the KT tape. Then those goalies that are putting themselves in front of uh, the ball a lot, and so they're coming up bruised quite a bit. We've got a product that uh, you can use to put on that bruising. They'll take that bruising and swelling out of there much quicker. Now, what resources, Ed and Kendra, are there to learn how to apply the tape? So if you go to kttape.com, we have over 60 videos to show you just about anywhere on the body that you can use the tape. They're quick, two minutes. A lot of them are you know, showing how you could apply it yourself. So it's really easy just to watch those videos and learn how to apply. I love it. KT tape is lightweight. It's comfortable to wear and can be used for hundreds of common injuries such as lower back pain, knee pain, and shoulder pain. Whether you're needing support for a short time period or want to wear it for multiple days, KT tape gives you the pain relief and support you need. KTtape.com, what Kendra just mentioned, offers many of those instructional videos. Now, how does KT tape help with recovery? 
recovery, which is really important as we think about the start of all of these seasons. Some of these players have probably been active, but they're gonna, you know, there's gonna be some bumps and bruises along the way. Yeah. So as far as the uh, the recovery process goes, again, if we go back to that, um, you know, once once you've strained something, once you've bruised, bruised something, there's a time process for your body to naturally heal that. So with the tape, what we're doing is accelerating that, uh, becoming like a second skin. So we're trying to help out, again, with any of the um, process of your body trying to heal itself. So with the tape, um, and I think you had also mentioned it, um, it's a product that we want you to make sure that you, you keep on. So if we're using our cotton product, it'll stay on one to three days. If you use our pro product, it'll stay on seven to nine days where you can shower, you can swim. And then we've got our extreme product, which I had mentioned before, that you're going to have to use something uh, oil-based to get that back off. So that's for our, uh, you know, triathletes, those that are uh, in water a lot, uh, swimmers, divers, such. Uh, but with the soccer, what we'd want to make sure that uh, you're, you're leaving the product on so that it's helping with that whole recovery uh, be- between either your practices or games and also, you know, during uh, your, your games and practices. What would you say, what sport uh, right now uses more KT tape than any other sport? Well, as far as KT tape is concerned, when, when we first um, got into business and we're looking at uh, you know, how do we get it out there to the public? How do we, uh, you know, make this something that uh, people know about? And when you're a, a smaller company, sometimes your your budget for marketing and and being able to get out in front of the public is is pretty pretty tight and pretty small. So we found that uh, you could go to the different marathons. There's there's uh, thousands of marathons across the United States, and they'll have a one to two day expo before. So we started getting into the the run world as far as those expos are concerned because they were very. Um, it was easy to, uh, as far as getting into it, registering and, and cost-wise, um, to be able to get the tape out there. So, so the biggest market that we've been in for probably about the last, oh, we'll go six, seven years, is is that run market. So that's the one that has really taken off and and really uses a lot of tape. That makes sense. And of course, Kendra Williams, you're a former athletic trainer as well, so you certainly know what it means to take care of the body, particularly of these great athletes. And now you're the brand manager for KT Tape, so I got to believe that means you had first-hand experience uh, in seeing how well KT Tape works for athletes. Oh, definitely. I was working as an athletic trainer when I was first introduced to KT Tape, and at first it was kind of a, what is this? And then it was next, like, oh, man, any in anywhere, any place and anywhere on the body I could find a use for it. I was trying it out, and easily converted and how awesome it is and just the ability it has to help athletes, you know, continue to compete in their activity of of choice and really, you know, stop focusing on what's hurting and really just focusing on their skills. So it's been exciting on that road. Final question, you know, you talk about that excitement. Talk about the the growth uh, in revenue and and just the success right now of KT Tape. Well, if we'll go back to um, kind of the beginning, in 2008, Carrie Walsh, uh, the Olympic gold medalist in volleyball, um, she had tape on her shoulder. uh, And one of our uh, original owners saw it at that time on TV, and he's a real social media kind of guy, so he Googled it and found out there were 6 million hits on on the single question, what's on Carrie's shoulder? Hmm. 
So he went to a couple of friends and said, hey, you know, if six million people want to know what this is, uh, we probably had to check into it. So that's where the company first began. So then in 2008, when they, again, saw the tape and, and started from there. Uh, shortly after that uh, is when we came out with the Pro Synthetic tape. So the difference between the cotton and the Pro, again, is the cotton will stay on one to three days. The Pro Synthetic uh, stays on seven to nine days with that ability to shower and to swim. So that's kind of where the, the, the division and, and where KT Tape set themselves apart was coming out with the Pro Synthetic. Then you fast forward four years later uh, when they, the next Olympics hit. Again, we were still a small company and uh, didn't have the means to uh, be a, uh, an official sponsor of the USOC and the Olympics. Uh, but those that were on the national broadcast television um, couldn't say kinesiology tape easy, so they shortened it to KT. And so they would say, for example, Carrie Walsh, there she is with her KT tape and any other athlete. So from that, we got a big shot, big boost in the arm. And so now, Dean, it's almost like when I say to you, um, would you mind grabbing me a Kleenex? Well, what will you get for me? You're going to get a tissue because Kleenex is a company. But in our minds, Kleenex is a tissue. So KT tape became just that's what the tape is. Instead of a company name, it's just everybody calls it KT so um, from that uh, 2008 um, to where we are now, um, we're a privately held company, and um, you know we've we've got over um, 60 employees now that, that work at KT Tape. Outstanding. Okay, let's get final comments first from Kendra Williams, the brand manager for KT Tape. Particularly knowing this is a soccer audience, Kendra, what do you want uh, all the members of United Soccer Coaches to know about KT Tape? Uh, I think I just want you all to know that KT Tape is here for you. Um, we understand your needs and are always looking to have products to help keep your soccer players training and competing at their best and, you know, looking for ways that we can help support them. And Ed Terrace, the VP of Sales, with the final comments from the floor on KT Tape. Well, thanks again. I appreciate the opportunity and the time. Uh, the, the biggest thing for me is uh, tape is a hard concept. In our minds, it's, you know, this is tape. So how can this help me? What can this do? So uh, my request would be get your, uh, get your hands on some tape, get it on one of your injuries, and see how it goes. You can't hurt yourself, but it definitely will help you. And once you've got it on, your mindset will change as far as this is tape to what it helps you do. So get yourself, uh, you know, prepared, um, working hard for the season and, and, and those practices and those games. Uh, but when it's needed, get the tape on and you'll find a, a real relief from the KT tape. Well done. Everything you need to know about KT Tape as we thank Ed Terrace and Kendra Williams. I also want to thank Paul Kennedy, the Editor-in-Chief with Soccer America, and then the LMA for bringing us the interview with Craig Shakespeare. College soccer around the corner beginning in August. We'll be here every week for United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. For everyone with United Soccer Coaches, I'm Dean Linke. Thanks for listening.